Dr. Max Pemberton, a doctor and Daily Mail columnist, and this is part two of a special three-part podcast for Mail Plus Health, where I speak to Dr. Heather Curry, gynaecologist at Dumfries and Galloway NHS Trust and trustee and past chair of the British Menopause Society and founder and MD of Menopause Matters. So this is a topic, it's been absolutely massive. As I say, whenever you write about this, whenever I write about this or cover it in any way, I was absolutely inundated with questions. It seems to be a source of a lot of distress. So this is the menopause. So we've had a lot of questions, but we sort of trimmed them down to just a few, just to try and get a sort of broad range. So the first question, why have my periods become irregular? They never used to be. Is it the menopause? I'm 50 and I've been feeling exhausted and anxious lately. So I suppose this kind of brings up the question of like, how do people even know, you know, what is the menopause? When does it come? And how do you even know if it's happening or not? So the word, the menopause means the final period. So someone who's still having periods isn't at the menopause. And you only actually know when you've had your final period by having had a year without periods. So up until that time, periods do often change. And the time of the changing pattern up until we know that someone has had the final period by having had a year without that in-between time is called the perimenopause. And what is happening then is the function of the ovaries is changing. So to have what we've already talked about is a normal cycle, though I'm suggesting and challenging that notion of it being normal. But to have that, the ovaries have to develop an egg cell each month and along with that have to produce quite a delicate balance of two hormones, estrogen and progesterone. And as, our, as we get older, our egg cells get a bit older, our ovaries a bit older, they start to not function quite so well. So the balance between the hormones starts to change. So estrogen is a key hormone and it's causing a thickening of the lining of the womb and progesterone stops the lining. Progesterone produced after the egg release in the second half of the cycle. And it prevents the lining of the womb getting thick and thick and makes it kind of squidgy. So biologically, that's so the fertilized egg could implant. So as our ovaries and our egg cells are changing and they start to, I just like to describe it as all going a bit wonky. So the balance between those changes. So we have cycles where we still produce some estrogen, but we don't get the egg released because the quality of the egg isn't as good because we don't make new eggs. That's the whole biological flaw. Whereas men make new sperm forever, almost, we don't make new eggs, so our eggs are a bit older. So they're different quality and they can't react in the same way. And so we might produce estrogen, the lining of the womb becomes thicker, but we don't release the egg. And so we don't get the progesterone, which controls the lining. And therefore, periods may start to spread out. And when they do come, the period can be heavier because the lining is built up more. Um, and sometimes periods are more often and it just becomes erratic and it's that chaotic time, the perimenopause. Along with that, the level of estrogen might be gradually falling and it's the estrogen falling that causes the classical menopausal symptoms. But we can have menopausal symptoms while we're still having periods because it's to do with the hormone levels changing. And the classic symptoms of that are the flushes, the sweats, but also mood changes, joint aches, disturbed sleep, a whole load of stuff goes along with that. So really, when we call that the menopause, really, really, to be kind of accurate, we're really talking about the perimenopause most of the time. That's yeah. really what we're talking about. There's, there's initial changes and fluctuations and drops, essentially, in, in the hormone levels. 
and, and the effect that's having on the body, that, that episode is really called the perimenopause. And that's, I suppose that's really what this person is describing. She's saying, I'm 50, I'm still having periods. They're becoming more erratic yeah. and having these other yeah. symptoms. They're yeah. really describing entering the perimenopause. And the perimenopause is the craziest time because it, it can fluctuate. So we can have a few months when our ovaries work quite normally and then a few months when the balance is all wonky again and it can come and go. And it can go on for a number of years before we finally get to the point where the egg cells are so low in number and quality that they don't produce estrogen. So the lining of the womb isn't stimulated and that's why periods stop. So the period pattern is kind of telling us what our ovaries are doing. And I think that presumably that also kind of contributes to a lot of the confusion around this episode because people are going, well, hang on a minute, I'm serving periods, but I'm getting these symptoms. And yeah. then they then stop periods for a bit and then they think, oh, right. And then it, they come up again. And it's, it's that kind of uncertainty, which must be also must be very anxiety provoking because people don't know what's going on. Definitely. And what also adds to the fact that we don't recognize it sometimes is because often the start in our 40s. And at that age, you know, 40s, we're really young in our 40s. We're not thinking menopause. That's something that affects our mum or our granny or, you know, we're not prepared often for this whole hormone balance thing changing in that time. And of course, in some women, it can happen even younger than that. So the average age of period stopping is, is 51 in the UK, but we know about 1% um, of women, it stops under, periods stop under the age of 40. And so for them, they're gonna have changes in the 30s. You know, So um, it often takes us by surprise and often we don't quite understand what's going on and therefore, we might not seek help or we might not we might seek help but it might not be very clear that it's hormonally related the next question is an absolutely massive one and i'm really i'm well i've got my own sort of thoughts about it but i'd be very interested to hear what, what you think um, as an expert um, and this has been the number one biggest question that we've had from everybody will hrt give me breast cancer my aunt, my mother's sister, had stage one breast cancer a few years back, and I'm worried I might be told I'm too high risk for it. Would you recommend it to someone who was fit and healthy? I mean, there's quite, there's quite a lot in that question, but I suppose, you know, every, honestly, about nine out of, out of every 10 questions we had was, you know, what is going on with HRT? There's so, so much confusion now. And I, I mean, obviously, there was, well, I'm sure you're going to talk about that study, which I think confused a lot of doctors as well, um, and has caused a lot of apprehension amongst doctors prescribing it but anyway so, so what, what are your views on HRT? So the first thing to say is that HRT is still the most effective treatment that we have for controlling menopausal symptoms of which there is a huge range and a huge variation both in duration severity and impact and we know for some women the symptoms of being low in estrogen can be absolutely devastating and can have a huge impact on their home life their social life their work life and their sex life. So the whole point of HRT is to replace the estrogen. So that kind of makes sense. If this is due to becoming low in estrogen, this whole range of symptoms, plus the effect on our bones with increased osteoporosis risk with less estrogen, with heart risk with less estrogen, it kind of makes sense that HRT giving estrogen back should be helpful. And it is, it is as I said, still the most effective treatment. In the last, um, well, since 2002, really, when we had a lot of publicity around risks of HRT, of which that information has been reanalyzed many times and other studies have come up. And the big focus 
and big concern to both women and health professionals is the association with breast cancer. And there have been some recent studies and it's, it's kind of become clearer as time has gone on. So the first point to say is different types of HRT have different effects. And I don't know if we'll ever have enough information about every single type of HRT. Um, one of the big studies in America that, that I talked a lot about the risks of HRT in breast cancer was using one particular type of HRT. Later studies have looked at observational studies, which are not as gold standard as randomized trials, um, and have looked at a range of different types. So the current thinking is that women who have had the womb removed, had a hysterectomy, all they need to take for HRT is estrogen. So the main part of HRT is estrogen. And women taking estrogen only, there is little evidence of any effect on risk of breast cancer. If the womb is still present, then HRT is a combination of estrogen, the main part of HRT, but also requires a progestogen to prevent estrogen stimulating the lining of the womb. So we know in the, in the past, when women have been given just estrogen, they've had an increased risk of cancer of the, of the womb due to the stimulation. So we would also always balance it with progestogen unless the womb has been removed. So estrogen and progestogen is known as combined HRT. We do not believe that combined HRT causes breast cells to turn into cancer. But what we do have evidence for, and we do believe that it may stimulate the growth of breast cancer cells, which are already present, which hadn't previously been picked up. And there is evidence around the effect of using combined HRT and increasing the risk of being diagnosed with breast cancer, which is a horrible, horrible disease. But I think it's a really important message for women that we don't believe that it causes the cells to turn into cancer. It's what we call a promoter. So promoting cells that's already there in some women, small numbers, rather than causing the cancer. Related to the question there of a relative having breast cancer, there are different types of family history that may or may not increase the risk of breast cancer for the individual. We all have an individual baseline risk and it can be very difficult to work out what that is for ourselves. But we, as well as family history and use of HRT or not, we also have to remember that being overweight or taking alcohol is actually another risk factor. So we have to try and get it all in perspective. And the family history doesn't necessarily mean that the individual cannot take HRT. And so we do have to individualize and I completely understand why people are concerned, but I think the risks have been, uh, have been exaggerated in the past and it's really important to keep it in perspective. And when we're thinking about risks, it's really important to think, well, what are the benefits? Because we know it can be transforming for many women. We know that it's very helpful for bone health, reducing risk of osteoporosis. And we know that if it started within 10 years of the menopause, it can reduce the risk of heart disease, which is actually very significant and important in, in women after the menopause. Okay, that's brilliant. That's very, very clear, very concise. Thank you. So I can't cope with hot flushes, but I don't want to take HRT. What should I do? So there are simple measures that we can all think about for reducing hot flushes and there are diet and lifestyle measures. So we know that if we're overweight, then trying to maintain a healthy weight can be helpful. Reducing alcohol can be helpful. There is evidence that cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, can help us cope better with hot flushes and also the disturbed sleep 
which is very common and related to menopause. Um, so there are simple things that we can try. There are non-hormonal things that can be taken. There are some alternatives which have been shown can be beneficial, particularly the isoflavones and black cohosh, and, and particularly for women perhaps who have a medical reason not to take HRT, such as a hormone-dependent cancer, for example, history of breast cancer, then there are non-hormonal treatments that can be prescribed. Um, though they, some of them are not licensed for use in this way and they do have side effects as well. But the other point of I don't want to take HRT would be I would be keen to understand what is that decision based on? Because I know there are many myths about HRT and we've talked about the understandable concern about breast cancer. And that's a common reason for people not to take HRT without really understanding what that meant and what is the magnitude of that risk. Um, but also, sometimes I've heard of women who may have high blood pressure, who've heard that they can't take HRT, may have a history of migraine, heard they can't take HRT. There are actually quite a few medical reasons that people often associate with reasons not to take HRT, which isn't necessarily the case. So there are a lot of myths. So, so it is worth exploring what are the concerns and sometimes talking through that um, we often find that women do change their mind. So, so again, that might be one of those things where a sympathetic, kind of knowledgeable GP might be able to guide somebody through that decision process and just sort of clarify that they're not making that choice based on any myths or misunderstandings. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a good kind of sound medical reason not to do that. And then if it sounds like if, if, if there is a good medical reason to not take HRT, there are still lots of options available. Um, I actually had somebody I used to work with used to do CBT for, for menopause symptoms. Um, and it was really interesting, like fascinating. And when you look at the outcomes, they're really, really interesting. Yeah, what, what we do um, through the British Menopause Society and uh, Women's Health Concern, which is the patient arm, and also um, through Menopause Matters, is trying to give women accurate information. So it has to be an individual decision, what, how to manage their own menopause, whether or not to take HRT, whether or not to take alternative therapies. But what we want is that make, the decision is made based on accurate information, not on hearsay on yeah. this, which I think has happened a lot in the past. Yeah, There's a, I was reading a very good book by Philippa Kay, who's a, a GP who's gone through the menopause, and she'd written a whole stuff, and she, this is the kind of central premise to this book um, was, uh, was, was exactly this, that there's so many kind of myths and misunderstandings around, around menopause and particularly HRT, that people often find they're making decisions not actually based on any, any, anything rational and scientific, even though they, they think they are, they actually don't know. That's all we've got time for today. In the meantime, if you want more from Heather, you can look at menopausematters.co.uk and you can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google. Whilst you're there, please leave us a review and don't forget to sign up for the Daily Mail Plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk.